52nd year as a member of the religion faculty at BYU. And that is very impressive, both because he's taught for 52 years and he's been able to stand it in the religion department for 52 years. I mean, both of those two things together are pretty impressive. And he's nearly been teaching a little bit, uh, nearly as long as I am old. So that's, that's a wonderful achievement. He also teaches class on Latter-day Saint temples, and he's the author of the book Temples to Dot the Earth, one of the great books on modern uh, LDS temples. He's currently working on a history of Provo's two temples, so that should be very interesting. And he is a, I mean, really an inspiring man. I don't know him personally very well, but he is uh, an inspiration in all sorts of ways. So we'll now have our final speech by uh, Richard Cohen, and his topic is, I've got to get this right, Latter-day Houses of the Lord, Developments in Their Design and Function. Then we'll have a, just a brief conclusion when uh, Brother Cohen's done. Say, Bill, I have to <clears throat> find out how the visuals work. This is, yeah, this right here is the turn it to the next one. Which, this one? This one right here. Oh, on the right. That's a little okay. arrow to the right. Okay, is there anything up there now? Yes, well, it's coming. Well, good afternoon. Now, I am among those whose car is down below in the garage, so I guarantee that we will finish on time. <laughs> you know, we've heard a lot about uh, ancient temples and uh, not so ancient ones, but we've seen some common themes. Uh, and I thought uh, as we get ready to talk about the latter days, there's uh, uh, excuse me. Yes. Just put this down a bit, the mic. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Thanks. That's okay. <clears throat> Is this better? <laughs> okay. As we talk about uh, the latter days, just some background. Now, do we have the slide with the two purposes? Okay. Just want to make sure I know where we were that these are the two purposes we've heard a lot about this afternoon, or this to all day long. Temples as a place of revelation and temples as places for sacred uh, ceremonies. Another uh, uh, feature that we've been talking about is table, temples as very sacred places. And uh, the plan of the camp of Israel il illustrates the idea that there were different levels of sanctity the Holy of Holies and the Tabernacle being the most holy. And then, uh, also as a background for our discussion, this statement by Elder Talmadge, that people's understanding of temples didn't always <clears throat> reach the same level, and that the temples that they built illustrate the extent of their understanding. Now, that's what I'd like to illustrate uh, just very briefly in the time that remains. Uh, that even as the Lord gave instructions anciently concerning the building of temples, we've talked about the revelation in the book of Exodus concerning the tabernacle and so forth today. Uh, even so, we have had the same kind of instruction concerning the latter days, beginning with the temple at Kirtland. 
in uh, Doctrine and Covenants, section 95, the Lord indicated that the temple would be built after a pattern that he would reveal. And he indicated that it would be a place where he would uh, endow, or as we've heard earlier, endue the uh, saints with power from on high. The same kind of promise that uh, Andy was just talking about that the Lord wanted to give to the Israelites that they rejected. Uh, even so, it's been uh, offered to the saints in the latter day. In Doctrine and Covenants 95, he indicated that the temple at Kirtland would have uh, two main areas, uh, an upper part of the lower uh, of the inner court and the lower part of the inner court. In other words, it was a, a temple where there would be these two meeting areas. Uh, uh, significantly, uh, no specific uh, provisions for uh, ceremony ordinances were provided. Now in section 95 the Lord uh, specifically directed that the three brethren be appointed to receive the design for the temple and those who were appointed are those who had recently been sustained as the first presidency of the church appropriate. And we read of the rather remarkable experience that they had in which they saw the temple in vision and it seemed to rotate so they could see the uh, exterior. Then it moved over them so they could see what the temple uh, on the inside would be like. And the temple was, uh, even though it was a general purpose building, no ordinances as we know them now, uh, I shouldn't say no, the most of the temple ordinances as we know them now not uh, part of that uh, structure, but it was a place where they were taught. So, you know, tell you the truth, I can't tell which slide we're on. If somebody let me know, then I'll... Okay, all right, very good. So as we move to the interior of the temple, uh, as we see the uh, one unusual feature was the series of multiple pulpits which uh, had the purpose of teaching. Uh, this was a time when the different orders of the priesthood that were so familiar to the ancient Israelites but were new to the Latter-day Saints had just been uh, unfolded. Uh, Doctrine and Covenants 107, the great revelation on priesthood was given in 1835. So the dedication of this temple just a year later was at a time when the saints were still seeking to get a, a broader understanding. Now, this series of pulpits served that because those seated on each level would have held uh, different offices in the priesthood. Now we mentioned that the two purposes of temples anciently, a temple is a place of revelation and for sacred ordinances, uh, certainly the function of the temple as a place of revelation was fulfilled at Kirtland with the uh, appearance of heavenly messengers, including the Savior himself. Uh, interestingly, we've talked about uh, sacred days, Yom Kippur and so forth. The date on which the Savior appeared 
as depicted in this painting was Easter Sunday. And what more direct evidence could one wish to have of the Lord's uh, glorious resurrection than seeing him there in person? Now on these uh, pulpits, uh, there were <clears throat> letters, uh, wooden block letters, which represented the different offices of the priesthood. Uh, at the west, the Melchizedek priesthood pulpits had a level for the elders at the lower level, then the high priest and the twelve, and then the presidency. On the east were the Aaronic priesthood pulpits in Kirtland. Uh, interestingly, that uh, is the correct directions that in Kirtland the Melchizedek was on the west and the Aaronic on the east. Now as you look at the letters there, you see the different levels of priesthood offices and you notice that uh, uh, PTA hasn't always stood for what it does today. But in summary, we can say concerning the Kirtland Temple that it was a, a building for general uh, worship and uh, it was not one designed for uh, ordinances particularly, but I think we would all echo what uh, then Elder Harold B. Lee said, that even if nothing else occurred in the Kirtland Temple, then the appearance of those messengers and the restoration of those keys, the effort at building that temple would have certainly been worth it. Well, let's move on to Nauvoo. Uh, Nauvoo was built like Kirtland, a great sacrifice. And once again, we see the progressing unfolding of the saints' uh, understanding of temples. And you can see that the Nauvoo temple is going to be very similar to the Kirtland temple in its basic uh, configuration. However, there were two significant additions to Kirtland. Uh, in the attic, the attic level, there were rooms uh, which were intended for the higher priesthood ordinances, and there was a font in the lower part of the temple building where baptisms for the dead were performed. Now I mentioned the attic. We see how it was uh, configured for presenting the endowment. Uh, different uh, segments of the room were separated by temporary partitions and furnished to represent stages in the earth's history and in our uh, quest for eternal life, which is the subject of the endowment. The rooms along the side functioned as offices and some of them had altars and so they also uh, doubled as ceiling rooms. So. As we see in the revelation which directed the building of the Nauvoo temple, uh, both functions of temples were now mentioned, whereas in the dedicatory prayer at Kirtland, only the idea of the temple being a place of revelation was mentioned. Now, interestingly, in the uh, writings by uh, Joseph Smith and others, and in the Lord's revelations themselves, the usage of certain terms uh, changed. Uh, for example, the structure in Kirtland was almost always referred to as the Lord's house, whereas the use of the word temple came into use a little bit more widely in connection with Nauvoo. Now I wonder, 
this is a subject I think that uh, could call for further research. Could it be that the word temple being used more frequently at Nauvoo reflected the fact that it was now uh, a uh, place specifically set apart as uh, the location for sacred ordinances, the very sacred uh, rituals that had taken place in the tabernacle in, in ancient times and at the temple in Jerusalem. Well now as the Latter-day Saints came to Utah, the first temple built in Utah, the St. George Temple, was very similar in size and basic in interior arrangement to the Nauvoo Temple. Uh, however, when this temple was uh, dedicated, it became the first site where endowments for the dead were received. In other words, uh, the, I guess the restoration of temple ordinances continued uh, through this uh, period of time. And as we know, the endowment receive, takes more time to receive than say would a baptism or a sealing. And so this became the dominant activity in the temple. And several church leaders indicated the future temples would not be designed uh, just like uh, Kirtland, Nauvoo, and now St. George, but would have facilities more specifically uh, designed for uh, giving and receiving these uh, temple ordinances. Now, a building had already been constructed in Salt Lake City. Uh, in 1855, the endowment house that uh, set this pattern that the brethren said would characterize future temples. See, in the endowment house, there were separate rooms uh, with murals on the wall, which uh, depicted stages in our eternal quest to return to God's presence. And as the endowment unfolded, uh, people moved to room, from room to room, just as they had done in the attic of the uh, Nauvoo Temple from those uh, areas that were created there. Now the first temple to actually uh, implement that uh, was the Logan Temple. And we can see instead of having the two large auditoriums, the lower part was now divided into separate rooms for presenting temple ordinances. Same thing was done at Manti. Now, turning to Salt Lake, I thought I would at least like to get us to Salt Lake before we have to rescue our cars. But the Salt Lake Temple dedicated, following 40 years of uh, sacrifice and effort and much uh, well, persecution during the 1880s that the saints had to endure. After 40 years of construction, the completion and dedication of this temple certainly was a high point for the Latter-day Saints. Now, this temple uh, is one that perhaps uh, employs uh, symbolism more than most. And it was my opportunity to visit with Matthew Brown on several occasions about his insights into uh, Latter-day Saint temple symbolism. And I, too, am indebted to him for insights that we are sharing uh, this afternoon. Now, on the exterior of the Salt Lake Temple, let's just talk about some of the interesting things that you see. Uh, halfway up the buttresses are moonstones representing the four phases, uh, 
four major phases of the moon. Now this uh, diagram shows something interesting, and that is that there are 50 of these buttresses. Uh, four does not go into 50 evenly, and so there's uh, a place at which the sequence had to be broken. And I understand that the architect did this deliberately. And I've seen sketches of, uh, in which uh, they planned just precisely where this uh, break would occur. Now, uh, it is on the north center wall of the Salt Lake Temple, uh, where the sequence goes from new moon to first quarter and then back to new moon again, instead of on to full moon and so forth. Well, if you assign the date, January 1st, to that new moon after the interruption of the sequence, then astronomers can tell us exactly how long it takes to get from new moon to first quarter to full moon and so on. And if you assign dates, uh, beginning as I say with New Year's Day, and moving around the northeast corner of the temple, when you get to the east center tower, the first moon that's depicted there, which happens to be a first quarter moon, by the way, would represent April the 6th. So an interesting reference to the date on which we are told that the Savior came into mortality. Now, if that, uh, well, let's take a look at the actual tower so you can see what we're talking about. Uh, the moon on the right would be the one representing April the 6th. The one on the left, a full moon, would be the first full moon after the beginning of spring. And we know that that is involved in the determination, determination of Easter. So you might say that that full moon might be a reminder of the Savior's uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Interesting Christ-centered symbols uh, on this uh, east center tower. You notice the clasped hands, that's tough to say, clasped hands, above the main window. And we heard earlier today about the significance of uh, hand uh, uh, grasps uh, as uh, not only uh, representations of uh, relationships with deity, but uh, solemn covenants. And then, of course, Alpha and Omega, uh, another re reference to Christ. Now, higher on the tower, uh, you see other sacred symbols, holiness to the Lord. We heard this afternoon about the sacred vestments where that phrase first is uh, brought to our attention in the scripture. Uh, you see stars high on the tower. And you may wonder, uh, when you think of the symbology that the moonstones were halfway up, there are sunstones on the Salt Lake Temple buttresses at their tops, and then these star stones even higher on the tower. And you think, well, isn't that in the wrong sequence? You know, you think of the three degrees of glory. Well, just a, a, a different possible interpretation. At the base of each of those buttresses is an earth stone. And if you think the earth revolves on its axis once in a day, then halfway up the moonstones the moon goes around the earth once in a month. Notice the unit is getting longer. Then the sunstones at the top of the buttresses, the earth goes around the sun in one year. Then the uh, stars, uh, we understand that the solar system goes around the, some center place in the Milky Way galaxy 
uh, once every so many hundred million years. So the higher up, the longer the unit of time, perhaps uh, suggesting approaching closer to uh, eternity. On the West Center Tower is the representation of Ursa Major, uh, one symbolism uh, mentioned by the architect was that through the priesthood we can find our way even as people use the North Star as a fixed point. But it is a fixed point, other stars appearing to revolve around it as the Earth rotates. So maybe that fixed North Star, another representation of eternity. Well, I can testify that uh, moving into the 20th century that we have had uh, inspiration in designing temples that reflects their uh, sacred functions. And I would just say in conclusion that many questions are asked about the Provo Temple. How did that design come to be? Well, I'm, as was mentioned, I'm working on that subject just now and we have found an account of how the architect as he was, uh, uh, Emil B. Fetzer, was given the assignment to des design the Provo Temple, uh, had to fly to Europe shortly after that, and on the plane going across the Atlantic, he was pondering that assignment, and he seemed to see the interior of the temple. He says he could see where the recommend desk would be in the inner foyer, and the ceiling rooms and other facilities on the second floor. And then the th uh, third floor with its uh, uh, ordinance rooms and central celestial room. Then when he designed the temple, he simply clothed that uh, arrangement that he had uh, seen. He testified by inspiration with the outside walls. Uh, we wonder, is there symbolism intended of the pillar and the cloud? The architect said there was no instruction, no uh, in, uh, intent. That's just something that I guess is a French benefit that we can read into it. Well, uh, again, it's my honor to uh, conclude this uh, day of wonderful presentations in honor of our friend Matthew Brown. I trust that uh, his example will motivate all of us to be a little bit more persistent in our studies of uh, the meaning of temple worship uh, I trust that we can all have a wonderful day tomorrow as we participate in the dedication of the Brigham City Temple and then determine to make temple worship an increasingly important part of our lives. And I leave this uh, with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.